Well, welcome to week 16 of our Believe series as we unpack what it means to live out the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. In our 30-week journey, taking us through what it means to think and act and to be like Jesus, we have already covered the first 10 weeks about thinking properly, and we're actually uh, more than halfway through the, the second set as we're looking at what it means to act um, like Jesus. And so today we'll be looking at the sixth week of that. And with the thing with the series is that we deal, as I'll talk about in a few minutes, with both vertical and horizontal relationships. And, and today we're going to be beginning to look at how those play out in a horizontal sphere. So today we'll be looking at the idea of biblical community. <clears throat> as the last five weeks, we taught on the five practices of the faith that have direct connection into how we love God, things like worship and prayer things like surrendering our, our entire self to God, okay? Those all dealt with our relationship vertically. In the next five, we're going to spend on the five practices of the faith that grow our love uh, for people. You'll see throughout um, scriptures that you have both of these elements in the scriptures. Your vertical and horizontal relationships, okay, are the two things that we're talking about here. Like the Ten Commandments, okay, which deal with your relationship with God first. So the first part of the Ten Commandments, you should only have one God, etc., that deals with your relationship with God. That's the vertical. And then the last half of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship with other people. Like don't kill them, don't steal from them, etc. And so that's what's going on here. Um, the Great Commandment in Scripture to love God, that's the vertical. And then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. That's the horizontal. Okay? Or even in most of Paul's letters in the New Testament, the first part focuses on the doctrine or how you should think about God. And the second part focuses on how you live that out with your neighbor. And so these aspects, the horizontal and the vertical. If you look at this next slide here, you'll see again, <clears throat> just as an example. So when you're having prayer and Bible study, you are building your relationship with God. You're spending time with God. That's why it's called quiet time or devotions, etc. And then you see on the two sides, you have fellowship with one another. We'll talk about that today. And witnessing with one another. These are things on the horizontal plane. They're dealing with us, each other. Okay. Um, the next slide here shows a specific example of just the fact that when you're not right with God, that's going to play out in your relationship with one another. And if you are right with God, that's going to play out with your relationship with each other. So this one shows how because I'm right with God, I can also be what I should be to others. And then the next slide shows kind of the opposite of this, that when you have sin in your life, you end up with trouble with others on the horizontal plane. And so the thing that you have to understand is that your relationship with God does affect everything. Um, when we were meeting in the park one time, I had a guy <clears> – <throat> roll up, like literally rolled up. He was in, in a wheelchair and he came up uh, to talk to me and he said that God had told him to come there that day to get a word from God. And so we began to talk for a few minutes and he began to relay to me some problems he was having in his relationship with his, his wife. Um, and he, he was thinking about leaving her, etc. And so um, during the, the series of our, our little conversation, I made a comment to him that um, relational problems with people are indicative of relationship problems with God. And as soon as I said that, he got very defensive because it implies that there's, there's something going on inside of him that needs to be worked on as well as whatever might be going on with his spouse. 
Um, and so he got very defensive, and then um, shortly thereafter he left, and he accused me of that being my words, not God's words. Um, and what I'm going to say is he doesn't understand how the scriptures work and how our relationships work. Our relationships with God take precedence, and when that's not right, it flows over into our relationship with each other. And the converse of that is also true. When they're right with God, it flows over into our relationships with one another as well. Um, another thing that we can look at is the healthy disciple image that we have used um, on a pretty regular basis here shows the same thing. You see that the head and the heart in this diagram relate to different aspects related um, to God and the, the right and the left hand, your relationship with God, relationship with people, and then the feet that we talk about also, your obedience levels. And so, again, even in this diagram, we have the two planes, the horizontal and the vertical. And so when we look at biblical community today, we approach the idea, we want to be reminded of the topic that we covered 10 weeks ago on the church. Okay, we live in a very lonely and an isolated time in history. Okay, though it may be the most connected time in history, we are some of the most isolated people in history. Uh, the American Sociological Review published a study not too long ago indicating that one out of four people have no one with whom they can talk about their personal troubles or triumphs with. That's 25%. I have no one to talk to. And if you remove family members, okay, so if you said, okay, outside of your family, who could you talk to? The number becomes one in two. 50% of people have nobody to talk to in life. Okay? That's isolation and loneliness. And that is a, a big problem in our culture today. The Census Bureau has indicated an expansion of the category that they call unrelated individuals. This is a group of people who don't live in a family group. <clears throat> the percentage of people not living in a family group from, grew from 6% to 16% over the last 40-plus years. Most of them, 70% of them, live alone. So think about it. We're going to talk about biblical community today. We're saying that a large percentage of people in America now have no one to talk to, and many of them live alone. In the biblical times, this would be almost unheard of. People lived together. In fact, they lived in extended family situations, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., all very closely uh, together. The solution to this, the age of loneliness, is the idea of community. And as Christians, we want to see what the biblical community is all about. As Kirkman Community Church, our DNA, we have four words that we kind of summarize. Relate, equip, share, and transform. Rest, right? We rest. Relate, equip, share, and transform. And that is all about this idea the first word, relate, is about relationships. The third word, sharing, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is about sharing in those relationships. And so this is, is crucial to both what we are as a church, but more specifically, we get that from the scriptures themselves. And so we don't always succeed in this, but we're on a journey that we would become like Christ wants us to become. There's a Brigham Young study that indicated that loneliness literally kills the conclusion of a new study by them indicated that um, <clears throat> this is really the next big public health issue. They're calling it a public health issue because the increase in loneliness is increasing the risk of death by 26%. That's more than being obese. So they're saying that you're more likely to die early from being lonely than from being overweight. So that study indicates, again, so I throw this out there just to help you understand that our culture is very lonely. I don't know if, if you are lonely or not. Um, I know what it's like to be lonely. Um, I, I would have fit in one of these stats before I got married. I moved to Florida in 2005, and 
I lived in an apartment by myself for three years. And then I moved across town and, and bought a house in Pine Hills. And for most of the time, from 2008 until I got married in, in 2013, um, probably about half of that time I lived alone. The other half of that time I had took in different people that needed places to live. But So there's a chunk of my life that was living in that way also. And so how do we live in this culture? How do we reverse that trend? Augustine said, the city of God and the city of man are separated by their two distinct loves, the love of God and the love of self. And the former leads to genuine fellowship, the love of God, so genuine fellowship and a communion of mutual giving and receiving, while the latter, the love of the world, engenders strife and war and the desire to exercise uh, domination over others. And our current culture is not set up to promote the biblical idea of community and fellowship. So we're going to have to make a decision. You are. I'm going to have to. We have to make a decision, all right, about how we're going to live our lives. Are we totally surrendered? In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about being totally surrendered to God. We've talked about giving him everything. We've talked about being all in. We've talked about everything that we have is his because he actually gave it to us first. We've talked about being single-minded and that our complete focus in life is on God and God's plan for our life. And so if, if we're going to do that, then it has to show up in our lives. Our lives have to change and have to look the part. <clears throat> when um, Bill Hybels was talking to a group of people, Bill Hybels is a pastor of a very large church, Willow Creek in uh, Chicago. He was talking to a group of, of his members about some of the tough topics that he's taught on over the years. And they asked him, of all the topics you've preached on, which is the hardest to get across to the people? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, it's becoming totally devoted to Christ is the hardest topic for people to grasp, to be completely devoted. And we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. That's what it means to be single-minded, to be all in. And it's going to come up again today. In fact, the word devoted is, is going to come up in our text that we'll, we'll be in in just a minute. For many people, total devotion to Christ means to, to squander, to waste the only life that you have. And we've really got to wrestle with that. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks, that we die to ourselves, that we give up this life for a life in Christ that has benefit both here and in the next life. So what about you? What, what, are, you, what are you devoted to? What are you committed to? <clears throat> so biblical community is seen. We're going to see this in the following video. So you're going to watch this video. Okay, We have one each week that goes with our series here. This video takes place at the end of the Old Testament time period. And as you watch this, Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and they're going to be rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah is part of this process. And I want you to look at this and see what, what do you catch about the idea of biblical community, all right? After living in exile in foreign countries for many years, the Israelites were allowed to return to their homeland. As they returned home to their capital city of Jerusalem, they found that the wall that had once protected the city had been completely destroyed. There was an Israelite man named Nehemiah living in Persia as a servant to the king. One day, 
he received a report from his brother that many Israelites had returned to Jerusalem, but that the wall was in ruins. Nehemiah began weeping, praying that God would forgive the Israelites for the ways they had turned away from God, and that God would help them restore the city. Nehemiah then asked the king of Persia for permission to return to Jerusalem to help the Israelites begin rebuilding the wall. The king agreed, and Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem. After he arrived back in Jerusalem, Nehemiah visited the wall and thoroughly inspected the ruins. Then he went to the priests and officials of Israel to share his plans. You see the trouble we are in, Nehemiah said to them. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. The officials replied, let us start rebuilding. Then, all of the people living in Jerusalem came together to begin work. Israelites from all backgrounds and walks of life joined together in the effort. Priests worked next to warriors. Warriors worked next to merchants, goldsmiths, perfume makers, and people of all other trades. Men, Women and families worked side by side to repair not only the wall, but the city gates as well, laying down beams, raising up doors, and putting bolts and bars in place. Through the leadership of Nehemiah and the combined effort of all of the people living in Jerusalem, the entire city wall was rebuilt in only 52 days. and teach on it out of leadership uh, context all the time. Um, but let me get some feedback from you for just a second here. We will dig deeper into the story of Nehemiah as it relates to community on Wednesday when we go uh, deeper with this in our studies. But for today, okay, what are a couple of things that you thought about maybe related to biblical community from that little clip about Nehemiah? And that might be all you even know about Nehemiah, but just from that. Any thoughts? Yeah. From the movie, from the little video clip you just saw. Okay, all right. Stanley? Okay, so you couldn't do it all by themselves, exactly. In 52 days, they got it fixed, but not one person, right? Everybody came together. Anybody else? Yeah. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. And we've talked about that um, probably about 10 weeks ago when we did the topic of the church. And we talked about in Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and, and the body has many parts, etc. So excellent. We see that as part of the biblical community as well. Anybody else? 
you saw in the in the video clip. Yes. Yes, they came together. Okay, that's going to be critical. We're going to see that in our passage today. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. <clears throat> Very good. All right, so biblical community then, we see this idea. It's, it's demonstrated in the Old Testament uh, with Nehemiah, but we're also going to see that it's demonstrated in uh, the New Testament as well. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the thing with this verse is that as we looked at last week and then today, these actually tie together, that it's Christ living in us. The only way we're going to have biblical community is if it is Christ living in and through us. When Paul is, is writing this to the Galatians, the Galatians um, were having lots of problems, and they did not understand the freedom. We sang about that a few moments ago. The freedom in Christ they did not understand. They had some problems with this idea of biblical community. And so when we look at this passage... And then in a second, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, a very well-known passage, to see what it means and what it actually looked like in the first century to have biblical community. But Randy Frazee says, biblical community is the life of Christ on earth today. And what he's saying is similar to what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that as, as Christ is working through our lives and in our hearts, then that, that then comes out in our lives, and that creates the biblical community that we're talking about. Our key idea about biblical community today, <clears throat> and for the whole week, the key idea is that we fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in our lives, in the life of others, and in the world. Okay, let me read that again to you, okay? I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in my life, in the life of others, and in the world. That's why we have biblical community as part of what God has called us to do. The question that you and I ask is, what do I do to develop healthy relationships with others? In other words, how do we do this? What does this look like? How does this work in our life? It can never be said that Adele Gabori's neighbors were less than responsible. When her front lawn grew hip high, they had a local boy mow it down. When her pipes froze and burst, they had the water turned off. When the mail spilled out the front door, they called the police. The only thing they didn't do was check to see if she was alive. She wasn't. Police finally climbed her crumbling brick stoop. They broke into the side door of the little blue house and found what they believed to be the 73-year-old woman's skeletal remains where they had lain perhaps as long as four years. It's not really a friendly neighborhood, said Eileen, 70 years old, once a close friend of hers, whose house sits just 20 feet from the dead woman's house. I'm as much to blame as anyone. She was alone and needed someone to talk to, but I was working two jobs and was sick of her coming over at all hours. Eventually, I just stopped answering the door. The woman was dead in her house for four years, and her neighbors didn't even know. This illustrates the statistics that we quoted earlier about the loneliness and the isolation in our culture. All right? And what God's calling us to do is to not live like that. See, look at this. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here. This here is a picture of a type of a neighborhood, okay? 
And I want you to think about biblical community and how easy or difficult it is for people to relate to each other. All right? Now look at the next picture. Okay? So you got two pictures. All right? Can you go back and forth for a minute, Mark, between those two pictures? All right? Which of these two pictures do you think is easier to relate to people? The first one or the second one? Stanley. Why? So it's easier or harder? All right. The first one, why? Because they're right there? Yeah. Which one's closer, Stanley? Go back to the second one, Mark. Like, are those houses, like, on top of each other? No. Look at the first one. Are they on top of each other? Yeah. Right? If you could reach your hand through the wall, you basically could touch somebody else, right? Yeah. Right? So... Now, these are houses in the city or in years gone by, right? What do we have today? We have houses that look more like the second one, except, see, and this is one of the reasons that Kirkman is on Kirkman Road. See, Kirkman Road is more like which one? The first one. The first one. Why? Because what? Apartments. Exactly. Okay, and so apartments, you have lots of people all piled in together, right? So you have lots of people living close to each other, right? Close proximity to each other, all right? So <clears throat> here's what's happened, all right? We don't have time to go into all the history of it, but, I mean, really, you've got urban planning or lack thereof that plays into all this as well. But as we spread out, is it harder or easier to have relationships with each other? Okay, one second. Is it harder or easier? It's harder. It's more difficult. The further away you are, the less likely you are to see each other. The harder it is to help each other, right? Yeah, what's your question? But it, it makes it hard for us to like... The second one? That's all good. And every neighborhood's not the same, right? So you could have a neighborhood like the second one. Okay, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, actually. You could have a neighborhood like the second one where people actually do have community because that's part of who they are and it's part of their culture, right? But then you also have communities like this, okay, that they never see their neighbor, okay? So it just depends. And so we got to look at what it's supposed to be like. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, all right? It'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 2. <coughs> so those who accepted the message were baptized, Okay, this is the end of, of the sermon that Peter preaches the day of Pentecost. Okay, when Peter gets done preaching, 3,000 people get saved. All right? And so the church is growing. Okay? 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. <coughs> Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with a joyful and a humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Now, this is a very important passage. It's a key
key passage in my understanding of, of the church and the church life. We've talked about this passage in, in times past. And today we want to look at this and see what do we learn about biblical community in this passage of Scripture. I started with verse 41, even though many commentators start with verse 42, because verse 41 and the, the last verse, verse 47, both talk about people being added to the church, that God, God was growing the church. So if, at Pentecost, when Peter preached, God had 3,000 people become Christians, all right? So what you got to think about is this, and this is why I left it up there also. 3,000 people just became believers. What do you do now? Like, that's the question. It's like 3,000 people. So however many they had before, okay? So <clears throat> you've got the disciples and you have some other believers, right? And then all of a sudden, 3,000 except Christ. Well, what's next? What do you do with the 3,000 people that just became believers? And so this is where we see the very next verse. We see what they begin to do and what is going on with them. And we see that those who accepted the message, okay, it says they're baptized there in verse 41. But then in verse 42, we get to where it says they devoted themselves. So let's look at Acts chapter um, 2, verse 42. It's the essentials of biblical community, okay? The first thing I want to talk about is the essentials of biblical community in Acts 2, 42. The word devoted, I put it in, in caps for you, all right? We got to think about that word for just a minute. What does it mean to be devoted to something? Right? You are completely devoted to it. It means that you are going to stay faithful. You're going to endure no matter what. I just want you to think in your own minds right now. What is it that you're actually devoted to? What is it that, that you are going to do it no matter what? Nothing is going to stop you from doing it. You're completely devoted to it. All right? I don't want you to answer out loud because we probably have some things in our lives that we're devoted to that we shouldn't be devoted to. All right? But what is it that you're devoted to, all right? Think about it. What is it that no matter what, you're going to do it? <clears throat> you know, for some people, the truth of the matter is that there is a TV show that, that runs their life. Now, maybe they have DVR now so they can just tape it and watch it later. But, I mean, I've had conversations with people where, no, I have to be home at this time because I have to watch my show. Well, they're devoted to that show, right? Maybe it's, you know, in, in our culture, for many people, it's a sport event. You know, you've got to watch Monday Night Football or you've got to see, you know, you've got to be home Sunday at a certain time for the game. Like, I, I can't even tell you what time they start. That's how bad I am with knowing when, they, when the games are on, all right? Six, is that what it is? Thank you. Yeah. So um, maybe that's your devotion. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you can't go without, you know, music. Maybe you are just devoted to music, all right? Now, in and of themselves, I'm not saying any of these things have to be bad. I'm saying, what are you devoted to, though? If you're devoted to something and it's outside of God's plan, though, that is a problem. All right? And that's what we got to look at. So the disciples, the first Christians, were they devoted to? Obviously, they didn't have TV back then, so you don't see a TV show up there. What do you see? They're on the screen. Four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They are devoted to the breaking of bread. And they are devoted to the prayers. And we're going to touch on all four of these, but we're going to specifically look at the second one, the fellowship or the biblical community aspect. But first, <clears throat> it says they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. So you say, well, what does that mean? Well, they, they listened, they learned, and they lived what the apostles taught them. Who's doing the early teaching in the church? The apostles are. Jesus taught the apostles, and the apostles are teaching the others. All right, now very quickly, 
Okay, that, that's going to trickle down so more and more people are going to be teaching because you only have how many apostles? Yeah. Can, can 12 people teach everybody all the time? No. And then do they all stay in Jerusalem? No, they don't. They start traveling around, right? And so <clears throat> then the apostle Paul comes out of the scene, and then he writes 13 letters in the New Testament. So you have the apostles, and what are they doing? They are teaching the people. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the first question you've got to ask, this is under the essentials, okay? The essentials of biblical community is the apostles' teaching. So what is one of the things that we do when we gather together on Sunday? We look at the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Where do you find them? In the Bible. Okay, in the Bible. That's why the Bible is so crucial. In fact, if you look at our, our KCC brochure, you'll see that the, our authority is the scriptures, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, the scriptures. That's our authority. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this, this week connects with the previous weeks. Do you study the Bible? We talked about Bible study a couple weeks ago. Okay? Do you spend time in Bible study? Do you read the Bible to know the story of God? All right? This is what they were devoted to. The second thing they were devoted to <clears throat> is the fellowship. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this for just a second because that's what I'm going to spend most of my time on here. Okay? The third thing was the breaking of bread. Okay? What is this? This is two things. This is meals, okay? And this is the Lord's Supper, right? Scholars are divided and they debate whether one or both is included here. I think that you look at all of Scripture and it's very clear that when the believers got together, they ate regularly. Okay? And so we eat. We'll have lunch in a little bit when we're done here. Lunch for us, or a meal, okay, is very much related to our fellowship that we're going to talk about in a moment. All right? And then they also celebrated the Lord's Supper. Um, the breaking of bread would, would have reminded them of when Jesus broke that bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And so they're constantly remembering that. Okay, the last of the four is the prayers, okay? They're devoted to praying. And so we've already done a whole lesson, a message on prayer. And again, if prayer is not part of your life, well, that's got to change. It's got to be part of your personal life. It's got to be part of our life as a church also, Okay. So, now let's look and focus on uh, that second one, okay? The fellowship, all right? It's the term koinonia. Some of you know that. But uh, this particular word of the phrase used here, the way it is, is written, is actually only found here, all right? In all of Luke and Acts. Though the idea is common elsewhere, okay? Um, <clears throat> the specific spelling of this is not found in the Gospels either, but the term means a participation or a sharing in common of something. So what I want you to get is this. Fellowship is sharing. That's what it is. All right? So if you say you're going to go fellowship with somebody, there's got to be some sharing going on. Or it's not really fellowshipping. All right? Biblical community, biblical fellowship is sharing. All right? That's what the term means. Get a sharing of something in common with someone else. In this case, in our, our scriptures, it's what are they doing? They're eating and they're praying together. They're getting together. The scripture says that they met in house to house and they also were meeting in the temple. And so they're getting together. They're studying the word. They're, they're, the apostles teach them. Okay? They're eating and they're praying. They're sharing in these things. And then a little bit later, we'll see that they also were sharing financially. That when somebody had a need, they would sell what they had to provide for that person. Okay, so if I had an extra house and you had a big bill due, then I'd sell my house and help you out. Why? Because I'm sharing. Because the resources, as we've talked about 
with our week on stewardship, and we'll talk about in the future weeks, the resources all belong to who? They belong to God. And so here, here's what you got to understand about this fellowship and the sharing. It starts out when you become a believer. See, those 3,000 believers, all right, in verse 41, they, they, were, they were baptized into the church. They were brought into the church, okay? The Holy Spirit, okay, inducted them, if you will, into the fellowship of Christ, into his body. And when that happens, you're brought into a new family, okay? You're adopted into God's family. And so now you share something. Okay, if you're a believer in this room today, we all share Christ. We have Christ in common. We share the Holy Spirit. We each have the Holy Spirit. And because of that, that then spreads out, flows out. It might start as a trickle. It hopefully will open the floodgates into a sharing that is all of our lives. And that's what we, that, that is the relationship in the church, the biblical uh, community. <clears throat> so the participation that we have starts in the salvation of Christ, okay, and then it goes into all the ev- other areas of our life. <clears throat> the idea of fellowship is all through um, the scriptures. I said the word is only used here, okay, and I just mean that particular noun phrase that's used, okay, other forms of, of koinonia, koinos, etc., are used elsewhere, so there's other sharing, but the other thing you have to understand is that's not the only word to use, if you want to talk about sharing or living a community, biblically-based sharing lifestyle, okay? So Paul actually uses most of the occurrences in the New Testament, okay? Remember, Paul didn't write the Gospels. He writes the letters, all right? And so Paul uses this term more than most of the others, and it's from him that he uses it in this religious sense of, of being in Christ, and because we're in Christ, the church shares these things together, Okay? The word could be used outside of the Bible. Like lost people in the first century, you know, they could use the word too, all right? But Paul doesn't use it like they used it. Paul uses it connecting to Jesus and what we have in him. So Luke has just reported the conversion of these 3,000 Jews living in Jerusalem. And so he talks about this fellowship that they have. And that fellowship (coughs) was in houses, and then they met in the, the temple complex as well. And so they're sharing their meals, they're doing these things, all right? So sharing life in Christ, okay, is the purpose of biblical community, all right? And so summarize the four on the board, and you have teaching, sharing, eating, and praying. And um, I don't know if this is a good way to remember it or not, but if you look at it backwards, you don't want to be a pest, okay? P-E-S-T, you look at the first letter, all right? Go backwards, all right? So um, anyway, what you do want the biblical fellowship, right? So these things, the teaching, the sharing, the eating, and the praying, are what has to be involved in our lives. And so when, when you and I share, okay, we got to share our lives with one another, okay? So when we get together, uh, I don't just preach and then we leave, all right? We're going to share time together. We're going to share food together, all right? And then we normally go to the park afterwards. Why? Because we're going to share more time together. Because it's not only about the teaching of the word. Okay, it's about learning to live life together, okay, and that we have to open up our lives to each other. To open up your lives to each other, what do you have to have? You gotta have time and space, a place to do that. All right. <clears throat> I've always said that one of the ways that you spell love, in fact the, the most prominent way probably, is T I M E. Okay? That's how you spell love, all right? If you don't spend any time together, then there's not much love, right? 
What did Jesus do for three and a half years? He spent three and a half years with who? The apostles. Exactly. The apostles pouring into them, spending time with them. So that when he left, they had seen how he lived his life. They heard it, but they also saw it modeled. They saw what Jesus did. They learned how to live from the master, Jesus himself. All right? And so we got to pour ourselves into each other. We call that discipleship sometimes. All right? Discipleship is not just a series of books. It's not just a Bible study. Discipleship is pouring your life into somebody. All right? E. Glenn Wagner has said, a corporation can never replace a family. Sooner or later, the issues of productivity have to become the driving focus. Not so in the family. Now, this is very sobering to the American church today because our churches are so often run as corporations. But they're not corporations. It's the family of God. And so we have to treat each other as family members. Okay, It's very easy Okay, uh, for pastors, for church leaders, even for anybody, I guess, in the church, Okay, that we look at productivity. Okay, One of the things, every week, you might not realize this, but every week, I, and I ask Melissa, because usually she counts for me, Okay, I say, how many do we have? Every, I always want to know how many people were here. Like, I don't know, a single pastor that, that doesn't probably do that, okay? And so, but here's the thing. If we only focus on, on the number, then we're missing the point. See, that's what businesses do. Because if a business doesn't make the numbers, what happens to the business? It goes, down. it goes down. It falls, right? It goes under. It's done. But guess what? That's not how the church works. Because even if our number was the same, we're still what? What? We're still the church. We're still family. You know what I'm saying? So if you never have another brother or sister at your house, for instance, you're still a what? You're still a family, right? Now, obviously, as a church, okay, if we don't reproduce, that's not healthy. If it's not evangelism, that's not healthy. Something is wrong, right? But we are still family. We are still the body of Christ. In the scriptures, when we look at this idea of biblical community and as family and adoption, and we bring all these different ideas that we've looked at in previous weeks uh, together to bear on this idea, we have to <coughs> get to the point where we put these in, into practice. And in the scriptures, uh, they lay out for us many, many ways. Um, on the tables, you all have a list of 59 one another's that are in scripture. All right? I printed them so you could all take one home with you today. So I want to look for just a minute at these one another's that we find in Scripture. <clears throat> the one another commands in Scripture. Okay? We look at these. <clears throat> Let's go to the, the next slide here. One of the things we find is that about a third of them okay, are related to unity. Okay? About the church getting along with one another. Right, now, you can look at all these yourself. The ones you have on the table, the 59, they're just laid out for you. They're not categorized like what is up here on the screen. But about a third of them in Scripture have to do with unity. Okay, So let me connect that with our verse here in Acts 2, 42. <clears throat> in order to be together, in order to be sharing, okay, we, we've got to be unified okay, around the goal of Christ, all right? around our purpose. You see, we can't have these petty disagreements 
You know, like I've, I've told you before about the, the church that split over the size of the piece of ham that some guy got at the dinner, right? And so we can't have disagreements over silly stuff like that that cause splits. So we have to be focused on what Christ has called us to do. Remember, the first word I focused on in Acts 2.42 is they were devoted. Devoted to what? Not the slice of pizza. Not the piece of ham. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, right? Devoted to their fellowship or the sharing with one another, okay? The meeting and the meals and the praise, okay? That's what they were devoted to, okay? Go to the next slide. <clears throat> another group of these, another third approximately, of the one another commands deal with love for one another, okay? Whether it says love one another or through love serve one another or tolerate one another in love, okay, tolerate means put up with. You know, anybody ever tell you just put up with it? All right, the scriptures specifically actually say that, put up with it. You know why? Because we get on each other's nerves sometimes, right? So what do you do? Do you throw someone out of the family? Yeah. No. Okay, you might wish you could sometimes. You might wish you could disown your brother or sister, but that's not what you do. That's not what family does, right? Instead, <clears throat> you put up with them. And then uh, the next large section deals with humility. About 15% of them stress an attitude of humility, okay? Humility is how you put up with people because you realize that sometimes that you're a jerk too. Isn't that true? Who in this room has never been a jerk? I mean, really? Okay, guys, we need some humility here, okay? Yeah, you've always been. Always? That's the wrong word. You've all been, sorry. All right? Everybody has been at some time. Yes? For sure you have. All right? Everybody has. Okay? We need humility, okay? Because when we realize that we've done the same thing, okay, then we're going to extend the same grace that God extended to us. All right? That's why. Why does Christ tell us to forgive one another? Because we've first been forgiven. All right? When someone has sinned against you, you've sinned much more against Christ, yet he forgave you. So you forgive them. All right? So these one another's, okay? So what I want you to do with them is I want you to take those home. Okay? You've got 59 of them on that page. All right? One of the things you should do this week is take some time and look at those. What is God calling you to do? Because if we're going to share life together, okay, which is what we're looking at today, biblical community, we're sharing life together, then this has to be part of what that looks like. <clears throat> Next, I want to look at the effect. Okay, What is the effect of biblical community? If you notice in verses 43 and 47 of our text, the effect on the world is that a fearful awe due to the miraculous nature of the events, there was miracles and signs, and favor... And there was favor with the people. And so the way that they lived, sharing together, okay, the rest of the world, even though they were not believers, okay, there was an aspect of fearful awe because there were signs and miracles. You know, Peter, Paul, they were healing these people, etc. All right? And then favor because of how they acted. You know, the world, the world's not always going to approve of or, or like Christians, okay? I'm not trying to say they are, okay? We can see that in our own culture because we do stand for certain things that the world um, is against, all right? So this is not about being a friend of the world. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God, okay? But this is about something else. When, when the world, remember, there's a lot of isolated and lonely people, right? What do isolated and lonely people want? They want relationships, okay? They want love. 
They want someone actually to share life with them. And what are we seeing here that the first century church did? They shared life together. That's what they did. They shared life together. Okay? That's why we don't just have our, our service and then go home right away. I don't want to just preach to you and then you leave. I want to sit down and talk with you. Right? I want to hang out with you. That's why we go play ball afterwards. All right? Not because I like basketball. I don't like basketball, in case you didn't know. All right? I don't know if there's any sport I like. So soccer is a little more fun. But anyway, <coughs> I play why? To hang out with you. All right? I'd rather go read a book than play a sport. All right? Community. Biblical community. Now, the effect. <coughs> Francis Schaeffer says this regarding the effect. He says, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. What he's saying here is when the world looks at us, okay, they make their analysis based on what they see. Okay? This is why Jesus said, by your love for one another, that's how the world is going to know that you're my followers. That's how the world is going to see the light. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to be a light, okay, we've talked about this before also. It's not an individual light. It is the community as a whole. The Christian church is a light to the world. That's what we're supposed to be, a light to the world. So when we take this idea of biblical community, now we are only scratching the surface, okay? I wish I had six hours with you today, all right? You probably don't, but I do because I like to teach, right? But if I had six hours, I would really want to break this down and unpack this a lot more. So let, let me throw a few more things out here related to this idea, okay? And it's all going to go back to the key idea, okay? Remember, the key idea of biblical community is I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purpose in my life, the life of others, and in the world, okay? So our goal is that we're trying to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, his plan, okay? And you don't need to go back to uh, Mark, but uh, um, in Acts 2.42, okay, remember the four things that they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' uh, teaching, to the fellowship or the sharing, okay, the breaking of bread or the eating, and the prayers, right? So teaching, sharing, eating, and praying, all right? So here's the deal, okay? Sunday cannot be the only time we do this, all right? Now, <clears throat> we have a long way to go on this, okay? We have made some steps forward as a church, all right? Because we are, are small, we have uh, more opportunity to um, get together, or it's easier for a bunch of us to get together because it's, it's not 3,000 people, okay? So when we go on Wednesdays and we go uh, to you guys' place, to the apartments, okay? That's one of the things that we try to do to go there and to help build community there. But here's the deal, okay? When we leave, okay, because I live in Pine Hills, all right, you're still there. How do you guys, even you students, all right, listen to me about this, okay? This is not just for adults. If you're a Christian, okay, and you're students, what did God want you devoted to? The apostles' teaching, sharing, eating, and praying, okay? You're not too young to teach, right, once you learn what the apostles taught, right? You're not too young to pray. That's why we, we've talked about prayer, right? Sharing and eating. How do you share, okay, 
your life as a student, okay? How do you help somebody else, okay? We've talked about these ideas in the, in the past, all right? So w why do we keep talking about them? Because we got to get them into our lives and live them out, okay? You live in an apartment complex. You have hundreds and thousands of neighbors, okay? <coughs> if the culture says ignore your neighbor and just stay in your house, what does the Bible say? He says don't do that. Jesus says, love your neighbor, right? Let's go back to the two commands, right? Love God and love your neighbor, neighbor okay? To love your neighbor doesn't mean you ignore your neighbor. That's what they did with that lady. She was dead four years and nobody knew because nobody was in her life. See, you've got to be in people's life. How do you get in their life? You have to share with them. What's one of the first things parents try to teach their kids? Don't talk to strangers. Okay, that's one of them. What's another one? Oh, has to do with our message today. Has to do with our message. What? To share. Right? One of the first things kids have to be taught is to share, right? Because little Johnny always wants to play with his toy, right? And he doesn't want anybody else to play with it until he gets bored with it. All right? You got to share. Guess what? Even as adults, okay? I'm an adult. As adults, that is often still one of the things that we have to learn how to do, to share, all right? I know people who <clears throat> would never let somebody else borrow their car if they weren't using it and someone else needed it. Now, to me, that just blows my mind. Maybe it's because I've, I've never had, like, a super expensive car, so it's, it's really not a big deal. If something happened to it, I don't know. But, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've let people use my car dozens and dozens of times. Okay, if I'm not using it and they need it, I go out of town, I, I let somebody use it that can benefit from it. Okay, why would we have such a hard problem with sharing? That's what our parents try to teach us when we were little kids, right? And we still can't share stuff. The Christian life is, is this sharing life. What does Christ share with us? His word. His, his spirit, his word, his love, all three of those things. The first thing you guys said, that's all correct, right? Salvation, right? He purchases salvation for us. All right, and then we don't want to share something with somebody else. How can we be that selfish? We don't want to share our time. What did Jesus do? Okay, we talked about this in the first couple of weeks, way back, like 16 weeks ago. Okay, God is imminent, right? He's transcendent, right? He, he comes from heaven to earth, right? Why? He spends time. He came and spent time. He shared his life with us. Okay, he could have just stayed in heaven, right? So we have got to, to get this, not just in our heads. It's got to get into our life, okay? That's the whole think, act, and become, right? Yeah, we got to believe it in our heads first, but we got to live it out, all right, to share. So students, that means you, okay? If you're a Christian, you've been given gifts by God. You've been given resources. We've taught you here. You've been taught elsewhere. You need to share that with others. You need to share what you have. You need to be an example of that. Adults. We need to do the same thing. <clears throat> if you live in a different neighborhood or community, this is something that um, with the adults, we've, we've talked about this on and off over the last few years, but it's something that uh, we need to step up our game on. Um, communities are transformed when people reach out <clears throat> and begin building relationships. So many times... <clears throat> We make our decisions that are, are completely not related 
to what God's doing in our life or in the church. And so I, I read a lot, and so I, I get challenged by a lot of different people, and, and this is helpful for me. And so, but um, most people don't read the books that I read. So I make comments to people, and, and they normally think I'm kind of crazy. But <clears throat> if the church is really your family, okay, if the church becomes your family, all right, if you are going to consider a big move, for instance, or a job, or for some of you, maybe it's a college decision or, or whatever it is. Um, who are some of the people that you would normally talk to about that decision? Mom. Your mom? Who else? Teachers. Some friends? Friends. Okay, okay, so mom, dad, friends. Basically, you said family and friends, right? Okay, if you're a Christian, who's your family? Everybody. God. It's not everybody. God. It's the church. Church. The church. God is, yes, he's the father, okay? But it's the church. So why is it that I think for a large percentage of people, unless some people in the church are those friends that you mentioned, we don't consider the church as having any input into that decision. We're just going to make the decision. We're going to leave. We're going to go to another state. We're going to do whatever. And the church is not part of that decision. I thought the church was family. I thought we're adopted into, into God's family. That's what the scriptures teach. But then when we make these decisions... The church has nothing to do with it. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, but that's not how we should be, yeah. right? We're family. But again, America is very individualistically oriented. So when we talk about church in America, it's often I go to church on a Sunday and then I go back to the rest of my life. That's not what you find in scripture. They were devoted. Devoted to what? Devoted to sharing their life and being in relationship with one another. And so because of that, because of this uh, devotion that they had one for another, okay, they were focused on <clears throat> the body mentality, Christ. They wanted to focus on what it means to increase the fellowship in the community. And that's what we need to look at, okay? So let me just put the verse back up on the board. Acts 2.42 is the verse that I want us to learn for this week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking the bread, and to the prayers, okay? Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have our table talk time. I'm going to put some questions up on the screen for you to further discuss in your groups. One of the things I want you to do is um, make sure that at your table are people from multiple age groups, intergenerational, Okay? So that we can learn from each other. All right? <clears throat> Just like a family. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I pray that as we look at the idea of biblical community and being devoted, okay, to this sharing, this fellowship aspect, Lord, that we would uh, take it seriously. We would evaluate our lives and, and see where are we not in alignment with what you've called us to do and to be. And we would be willing to humble ourselves, repent of that, and get in line with where you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right.